go back and uh, sing the first verse one more time, Loretta. All right, here we go. Ready? We gather in God's presence to worship Him this
that. Got a lot to, going on tonight, so things to pray about. I'm going to mention them to you. We'll have prayer time afterwards, but uh, give you some updates. Dave Rawlings is still having some trouble. He had that stroke after the COVID, and uh, the only thing that's been affected, it seems, is one eye, and it's just, it just has blurred vision, so he goes in tomorrow to see a therapist, so pray for him. Uh, Richard Hoke is just he's just degrading with his Parkinson's, so if you would just uh, pray for Miss Debbie and and uh, all of the things that are happening there. He's really able to walk very little at this point, so uh, just pray for them. Skeet has a plan to be here on Easter Sunday. I don't know if you know that. I guess you do. That's what he told me today. I'm planning on being there Easter Sunday. He said he's got some kind of motor on his back that sucks the, the infection out, and uh, so it's kind of noisy, so he'll try to make sure that he doesn't sit by anyone who would be bothered by that. But anyway, uh, pray for Skeet. Steve Kempton is still uh, struggling. He has a Mass on his lung. It's not a. It's not a um, tumor mass. It's a mass of infection, and so they're just pummeling him with antibiotics. But he's seeing some improvement. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian Walker left Sunday. Uh, you know, with his heart out of rhythm. They shocked it back finally on Monday. Twice on Sunday, failed to work. Finally on Monday, got it back, and he's back to work. I think right, and everything's doing good. So Miss Natalie's here. So praying for that. Uh, Miss Lila uh, was put in the hospital with COVID this week, and uh, she is home as of today. I talked to her just a little bit ago, so praise the Lord for that. Monday night, we went roller skating, had a great time, uh, but we did have two little incidents. Other than that, your pastor didn't fall, so that's good, and, and uh, I, I didn't even get sore, so praise the Lord for that. But uh, um, Chantel, she's the one with the big voice when she sings, all right, she just recently joined the church. Uh, she fell and actually broke her ankle, uh, tore her Achilles, and is going to have surgery uh, coming up on uh, April the 4th. So that's next week. So pray for her. She's fine. She's in good spirits and just praise the Lord that it wasn't worse. And then um, one, of the, uh, one of the people had a, uh, a passenger side window shattered as, they, as someone broke in to try to steal uh, something they were disappointed in what the, she had taken the stuff out of her purse that they got the purse anyway but uh so that did bring about a question you know should we go someplace else i'm just going to tell you that the someplace else is there's just not that many you know we can go to franklin that's about the other the closest other uh skating rink we only go once a year so i think probably better would be that we'll just plan on somebody being in the parking lot for security now, when I say that, some of you cowboys are like, yes, all right, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not giving you permission to, to you know, uh, beat anybody up or anything, just so you know, but uh, we'll probably just plan on security, but we, have, we do this about once a year. Uh, we've usually been injury-free, but the last two years, we've had some severe injuries. Miss Angie, Miss Angie, Miss Amy had uh, aunt, wrist surgery last year, and now Miss Chantel was surgery on her ankle. Uh, but you'll be glad to know Miss Amy skated again this year. And uh, she said, I'm not going to let it keep me down. So there you go. So If you would just pray for all of those things, I know that uh, everyone would appreciate it. Brother Chuck, uh, you saw maybe on Facebook that he had his first treatment, and things went very well. They were like, you know, you know Facebook announced that he wasn't really having any problems. But he's not here tonight because today it's hit. And so uh, 
he is not really doing well. I mean, his treatments, they, they're just side effects of the treatments, not unexpected side effects, correct? Not necessarily unexpected side effects, just unwanted side effects. So uh, if you would, uh, just pray for them. You go in on, still, is it still May? That you, Friday for the bone scan, so pray for Robert for the bone scan on Friday, and then still going to take the kidney out in May, as far as we know, May 4th, okay. So um, just pray for that, as uh, try to figure out where Robert is on, on his diagnosis as well. So a lot of things that are just out there. Our teenagers are doing this week, uh, if you didn't know this. They do a missions trip, but this week, this year, Pastor Andrew decided to do Indy missions, to make Indy our missions. And so uh, last night... Uh, and I say, you want to get kids out of their comfort zone, this was a great thing that they did last night. So they fixed dinner and uh, for 80 homeless men at Good News Mission and served them dinner, and then Pastor Andrew preached to them. And uh, so what a great opportunity for those teenagers. You just, you know, you want to be challenged with uh, your faith and do something like that. So uh, that was an exciting time for them. Today, did you notice that the big oak tree that was in a pile is no longer in a pile? That's what they did today. Uh, Pastor Andrew told them, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the ministry. The ministry isn't always the fun stuff. It's sometimes it just works. So they did that. And now, right now, they're up there teaching the kids tonight and running the kids program tonight. So uh, this is all just part of the teenagers jumping in and in their mission strip concept. So there's different things going throughout the week. Uh, Friday, I know they're going to uh, a Bible study with, with legislators downtown and uh, helping out there and just different things. So just uh, continue to pray for the teens as they do that. And then, of course, you remember we uh, just voted to send a group of our college students, I think 10 of them, to uh, Utah in a couple months to help out with a uh, camp out there at a church. So a great opportunity for them. So we're excited about what the Lord's doing there. So just... Pray about all those things. And our interns are coming in the beginning of June. Dave uh, Young will be here for revival the first first week of June. And so I'm not even going to pick it up again. So there's a lot of good things going on. All right, so we're going to continue our study. Uh, I say it every week because every week it seems like we have somebody different here. And I, just, I know that some of you are like, Pastor, we know, we get it. But this is based on this little, this little bitty book called uh, Take the Lead. Every... every uh, chapter is literally one to three pages. It's a dad writing letters to his son, his young teenage son, saying, here's what you need to do to prepare to lead. I've taken that and, and changed the, the concept of it to preparing to be used by God um, for two reasons. One, I'm not talking just to guys. And secondly, the, the principles really in the Christian walk, um, whether we ever get a chance to lead you know, that's not always, some, some people, sometimes we're not called to lead, right? Or we're not given an opportunity to lead. But we're always given a chance to be used by God. And so, if you'll take these principles and put them to work, uh, you will be able to be used by God. And so we're, uh, I think we have one more week left after this one, so we'll finish up this little book. This one is uh, number 18, all right? There's 25 of them all together. So we'll finish up next week. Number 18, Handle Rebuke. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father... Help us as we uh, come together tonight to grow in your grace, to uh, be willing to allow you to challenge us, to shape us and mold us in the image of your Son. Be with our teenagers as they're serving this week in unique ways. Just stretch them and challenge them and help them to uh, trust in you during this time and, and uh, watch over our college students, our young people as they're meeting in other parts of the buildings here. And we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Learning how to handle rebuke. Uh, 
This is not an evil, right? So Proverbs says this, rebuke, or reprove, I'm sorry, not a scorner. Now in Proverbs, uh, you have, you have uh, the scorner, uh, you have the fool, and you have the, um, what's the other ones out there? The simple, right? The simple. Simple is that person who they, they, they just don't know. They can be taught. Uh, the, the nice thing about being simple is that they just don't know. So we teach them, and hopefully they don't remain simple. Then we have the scorner and the fool. Now, the fool is that one that says in his heart, there is no God. I'm not going to respond because I don't believe anything you're saying anyway, and, and uh, so I don't have to listen to what you have to say. Uh, that, that's that person who's the fool. Uh, they've stubbornly dug their heels in. But then you have the scorner, and the scorner would be that one who mocks and ridicules the things that you're presenting as God's truth, the things that God is presenting as his truth. So, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Now, I'm, I'm asking this as we start this whole conversation. When's the last time somebody rebuked you, and you said in your heart and mind, I am so thankful for that person. What a great blessing God gave me when he sent that person into my life. Because the Bible says, if we're a wise person, you know what we're going to do? We're going to love them. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So, I came up with four people that I cannot stand to be rebuked by. And um, you can probably figure them out pretty easily. One of them is my wife, right? I don't like it when my wife rebukes me. I'm just being honest. I don't like it when she rebukes me. A lot of reasons. I mean, reasons that I think are good reasons. I think that, you know, in this, in this uh, relationship, I'm not supposed to be wrong. Do you understand? I mean, uh, hear me out. I mean, I'm not supposed to be wrong. I'm, I'm, so it, it's embarrassing and shameful when my wife has to say, John, that, you didn't get that one right. That, just, that didn't work. And uh, yikes, so I don't like that because I'm going to tell you, my wife seldom does this. And when she does, it's pretty much she's 100% on solid ground and she knows it. So when my wife's coming to me and saying, John, you shouldn't have done that, it's pretty much because I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> you get the idea? And I don't like it. It's embarrassing and it hurts me to that, that I had to put her in that position uh, you know, and I let's just be honest too. Part of it's my manly pride that just how dare you know she thinks that I could ever be wrong, and so uh, you know I don't like that. Can you think of who the second one probably is, or my son, right? Either of my kids. I don't like being rebuked by my kids. I don't like it. Now my kids, unlike my wife, and I'm saying this knowing that they might very well be hearing it. Uh, you know, they don't always wait to be 100% right before they come and rebuke me. Right, so we have that. It's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind being challenged. I should be able to explain myself, and if not, then the challenge is okay. So I don't mind the challenge, but you know, it's not always. I you know, I don't always react the same way because my wife, if she's doing this, I know, I know, I'm already on shaky ground. My kids, I'm going to stop and rethink. But I don't like it. I don't. You know, a dad is supposed to be right, and I don't want to be in that position. It's, it's not a good thing. And again, my pride steps in, and who do they think they are? I, I've spent the last, you know, 25 years of my life teaching them to respect me, and that means you don't question my authority, <clears throat> right? And so uh, now all of a sudden they're growing up and getting a brain, and they have the audacity 
to challenge me. And sometimes that's tough. But does this still hold true if it's my wife and my kids? If I'm a wise man, shouldn't I still be responding the same way? This is a great piece of advice to give to a teenager, but it's not just for teenagers. Learn how to handle rebuke. There's a third, there's a third group that I don't like being rebuked by. So, Tim, say it again. Andrew and Brett. Andrew and Brett. I mean, come on, guys. You're the assistant pastor. Do I have to explain that to you? You're the assistant pastor. That means I'm in charge, right? And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, they probably feel the exact same way about being on the rebuking end. They probably don't like being the one to have to rebuke, you know. But, you know, I, if I've done something wrong, they ought, to be, they ought to be willing to point it out. That's part of their leadership skill, right? That's part of what they're supposed to do. But my job is to teach them how to handle that rebuke, and I have to learn how to take it. I have to learn how to accept rebuke. And by the way, I want you to notice something here. It doesn't say, if the rebuker does it the right way. It doesn't say that, right? If I'm wrong, even if the one who is pointing it out is doing it to humiliate me, I still should do what's right. Would you agree? And that doesn't mean that I shouldn't go back and then talk to that person about their attitude. All right, that's a, that's a two-way street. But the reality is, just because somebody doesn't have the right attitude when they're rebuking me, that doesn't give me an out. I'm still supposed to do what's right. So, yeah, Andrew and Brett, I, and I, again, this is wonderful how God has put us together because, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, they have the courage to sit down with me and say, Pastor, and they're nice about it, right? They're, they're really nice about it. They are. Did you really mean to say? <laughs> Did you, is this really what you were thinking? You know, and, and to challenge my thinking. And, it's, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes I bristle. My immediate reaction is to bristle. I'm like, yes, and so do it. Yeah, my, that's my initial reaction. But you got to stop and think about it. And there's a fourth group. Who do you think the fourth group is? Say that, say that out loud. Any of you sitting right out here, right? Oh, it's not easy to be, wait a minute, don't you guys get it? I'm the pastor. You know, I mean, come on. And it's not easy sometimes to be the person upon whom that responsibility falls and then have someone who is, I'm not meaning this to be demeaning, but God has placed me in authority over you. My authority is very limited, right? It's not like I can chase you around and, and to follow your life around. But, you know, the reality is God's given me a degree of authority over your life. And so, you know, that's not an easy rebuke to take. Is it still something you're supposed to do? Yes. Is it still something I'm supposed to take? Yes. So it's a great opportunity to learn how to handle rebuke. So uh, before we just, we're going to read through a, a bunch of scriptures here in just a second. But before we do, let me ask your opinion. What advice would you give if you're talking to your teenage son or your college-age son, what advice would you give them on how to handle rebuke? Make this practical. What would you say to them? Son, it's important that you learn to be a wise man and handle rebuke the right way. What would be a practical step that they could take to do that? Say it out loud. Humility, all right? You've got, you got to swallow your pride. In fact, more than swallow it, in the Scripture, we ought to be setting it aside, right? Put off the old man, and put on an entirely new man. Philippians chapter 2 shows us the humility of Jesus Christ. 
you know, and uh, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And so, uh, humility, that's a big thing, right? Just, we gotta, so how do we, how do we get to humility, Scott? What would be a step I'd take to get to humility? Okay, quit being so defensive, right? Quit being so defensive. You know somebody who's like, you're afraid to talk to them because they, they just are so defensive all the time. And you know, it's going like, I just don't want to talk to them. And, and so don't be defensive. You've got to be willing to, you know, to set aside those feelings. Anything else? What's another practical? Miss Joy. Even sometimes, like right here, this is not involving rebuke, but sometimes as you guys start to give comments, I start jumping back in on your comment because I think I know what you're going to say. You ever notice that? And so it's like, wait a minute, listen, learn, back up, and stop talking. Learn to listen. That'd be a great practical hint, right? I want to be this guy who actually knows how to handle rebuke. Do you think that you're... Teenagers are ever going to face rebuke as they go through life? <laughs> now, I was pointing out this morning, I heard on the radio yesterday, uh, we may have a lot less, uh, you know, they may be facing a lot less rebuke. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is like this, it's a small movement, but it seems to be building up some steam uh, among colleges. In order to take pressure off of freshmen, to have freshman year be non-graded, non-graded. Too much pressure, those poor kids. We don't want them to feel bad, you know, so we're going to, it's going to be a non-graded. If I'm a parent, I'm saying, I'm paying $25,000, give them a grade, <laughs> right? I'm sorry, but give them a grade. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, wow, non-graded. So, but, you know, the reality is at some point, they're going to take some harsh criticism, and they've got to learn how to, how to deal with it. When they get to their job, somebody's going to hold their feet to the fire. And they need to learn how to handle rebuke. And if not, so learning how to listen, learning how to be humble. Give me one more. What's one other thing? Tim, we'll give two more. Go ahead. That's a really good piece of advice, right? So Mark Twain's old thing is if you're angry, count to ten. If you're really angry, count to a hundred. So... Give some time for the emotion to get away. So think about this in, like with your wife or with your kids because that emotion kicks up so quickly, right? So how can we deal with this? Well, if I want to take the rebuke the right way, maybe I need to wait until the emotion is under control. And so that would be a good piece of advice. What were you going to say, Mike? Oh, listen, that's... It's called being proactive, right? Decide ahead of time how you're going to respond. You know, you know that at some point, that person you're going to go home with tonight is going to rebuke you at some point in the future, probably the near future. And you can decide now, before, how you're going to respond, right? Well, right now, while the emotion's not there, how can I, you know, how can I prepare myself to... So you get the idea. So uh, God's going to give us a bunch of things in the book of Proverbs about this reproving, this rebuking. So let's just take a look. Oh, I forgot to give you this one first. Uh, here's what it means to be right, to argue, justify. Convict. This is all different ways that it's used in the scripture. Convict, chasten, convince, correct, dispute, judge, reason, rebuke, 
uh, those pictures have nothing to do with anything other than just showing people kind of being a little bit feisty with each other. But look at Matthew chapter 16. Here's Jesus talking to Peter. And Peter, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, get thee behind me. You talk about a strong rebuke. Yikes. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Ouch. Jesus gives a pretty strong rebuke. Can I point out something that we really don't see in this passage? Is Peter's response. What is Peter's response? You know what Peter doesn't do? He doesn't go try to find another church. Right? Huh. That pastor offended me. I'm out of here. Peter doesn't do that. Let's give Peter some credit here. He doesn't do that. You know what Peter does? He accepts it. He takes the response. Or the rebuke. I mean, that's a pretty harsh rebuke. How would you like to be embarrassed like that by your kids? Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that would be like, that would be tough. And there's Peter kind of, you know, it's, uh, that's, not all of God's rebukes are that, uh, are that uh, firm, but boy, this one was a big deal, right? Because Peter was trying to talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem and dying for the sins of the world. And uh, so it's a, it was a big deal. Um, so here we are in the book of Proverbs. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, he will love thee. We read that one already. He is in the way that keepeth, in, uh, he, I'm sorry, is in the way that keepeth of life, that keepeth instruction. But he that refuseth reproof, erreth, erreth. It's always, you're always on the wrong side if you're refusing that reproof. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is, anybody remember that word brutish? We've talked about it. What's it mean? Look it up in your Strong's Concordance. In your Strong's Concordance, you know what it says? Stupid. Stupid. It is stupid to be this way. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Think about this. You're saying to your son, learn how to handle reproof. Learn how to rebuke, because you know what it will do? It brings you to honor. It brings you to wisdom. It brings you to uh, instruction. All these things that are there... It's a great help to you. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Taking the, the, to be prudent is like, I'm going to take the way that's, you know, if I go this way, it's going to be really hard, or I can go this way, it's going to be a lot easier. Because the way of the sinner is hard. And so it's like, I'm going to be prudent. I'm going to be wise here. I'm going to go this way. Correction is grievous unto them that uh, forsaketh the way, but he that hateth reproof shall die. And that's strong. And I'm going to, Tell you my take, all right? I, I, I'm not going to tell you that this is everybody's take on this verse. But I don't believe it necessarily is talking about physical death. The idea is this. If we, if we will not accept reproof, rebuke from our wife, we lose her respect. Our influence begins to wane. You know, our, our kids can see through our they can see through our um, veneer and they can see what we really are. And so when they rebuke us for that and we, re- we reject it, then they reject our influence. And our influence begins to die. A pastor can lose his church when the church loses the respect you know, uh, for the pastor. Uh, you know, think about it. So it's, it's he that hates reproof shall die. The, the ear that uh, heareth the reproof of, of life abideth among the wise. He that refuses instruction despises his own soul, but he that heareth reproof 
getteth understanding, reproof. Entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. You know, if, if you just rebuke a wise man, he, he'll respond faster than a fool is going to respond after getting, how many speeding tickets did I get? Never mind, okay. Uh, you get the idea. Uh, smite a scorner, and the simple will beware. And reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left unto himself bringeth shame to his mother. Learning how to handle rebuke will make us better servants of God. See how this fits? If, if we'll learn how to be, then when God wants to use it, he says, oh, look, I'm going to pull this person off the shelf because they're ready. They're, they're fit. Meet for the master's use. And uh, there we are. So, uh, a lot of rebuke. Then number 19, choose wisely. Now, this particular passage or chapter is dad trying to talk to his son about how to choose a wife. Right? He uses this verse. I love it. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman, which is without discretion. And it's basically God's way of saying, just because she's beautiful doesn't mean she's going to be good for you. Right? Uh, You've got to be careful here. And so he's saying to his son, don't be fooled by that which is fleeting, because beauty is vain, right? And it is fleeting uh, if we're looking just on the outside. So there's an old joke, you know, if, uh, it says, uh, if you don't believe that beauty is only skin deep, look at the inside of your cheek. <laughs> um, okay, you get the idea. Oh, whatever. You, you've heard that one about the guy who gets married, she's just beautiful, and he's married this voluptuously beautiful woman, and so there they are, finally on their honeymoon, and she takes out her, her uh, glass eye, and she takes off her wooden leg, and she takes off her wig, and, you know, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> because beauty is fleeting, folks. It is, right? It, but that doesn't matter if he's married a truly godly, beautiful woman. See how this is? And so that's, that's what he's trying to get across to this son. Obviously, for us here, for the most part, we're past that stage in our lives, and so... I'm not trying to focus on that, but I'm going to focus on the fleeting. So as we look at the next one, we have some fleeting things. All that glitters is not gold. You might want to live for these things, money, boats, cars. I'd take the car. I'd take the gold. The boat I could probably live without, but I'd sell it. Uh, you know? <laughs> but, but the idea is that you know, we, we don't get caught up perhaps in the fleeting moment of, of finding a spouse. We already found our spouse, and most of us have already realized that just because she doesn't look the same as she did when we married her 35 years ago, it does not mean that we still don't think she's beautiful, right? We've, under, we've grown into that understanding. But the reality is, you know, we, we struggle with some other areas of our lives. All that glitters, glitters is not gold. And so choose wisely. We've, we don't want to go after those things that are fleeting, those things that are momentary, uh, because they just simply won't last for us. So don't be fooled by the fleeting. I've got some questions for you. You're going to help me teach this. He goes to First Peter chapter 3, which is where he should go, as he's talking to his son about this woman. He says, who's adorning? Let it not be that of outward uh, adorning, the plating of the hair. Is God saying, don't, don't fix your hair up, ladies? No. That's not what he's saying. Or the wearing of gold. Is God saying, don't wear jewelry, ladies? No. Not any more than God is saying, or the putting on of apparel, that God's saying, don't put on clothes. Right? That's not what God's saying. It's not about the clothes. It's not about the gold. It's not about the hair. God is trying to simply say that there are things that are important, and those aren't the important things. Let it be the hidden man of the heart 
in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. And so uh, focusing on the things that are truly important. For us, as we're looking at that fleeting, we're thinking of things that setting our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Or moth and rust, that's corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. We have to make sure that we're putting the importance of our lives where it belongs. So uh, let's ask you a couple questions here. Why does godliness and character matter more than appearance? I've given you the answers, so see if you can just make the application. Why does godliness and character matter more than appearance? Appearance fades, right? Appearance fades. We all get older, right? I wasn't always bald. I wasn't. So, you know, I got bald and got just better looking. I'm just, you know, I'm just kidding, right? I don't want that. But appearance fades. So Appearance is objective, right? What one man, you know, one man sees beauty is in that eye of the beholder, right? So one man's beauty is different than another man's, so it's subjective. Why else? If appearance fades... What doesn't in that equation? Godliness and character, right? It, it, it actually grows and becomes richer and greater and, and of, of more beautiful. So, you know, if we're going to focus on something, don't focus on, on uh, you know, how, how much does it cost to get that tummy tuck, right? Don't focus on that. Focus on that which by nature becomes more beautiful. Godliness and character by its very nature, becomes more more beautiful. And we don't, we're focused on the wrong thing. So he's trying to teach his son here, but we want to teach ourselves. Um, the, the last question I'm not going to answer, ask, ask us to answer, just are you the kind of person who would attract a godly person, right? That's what he's telling to his son. Son, you know how to get a godly woman? Be a godly man. Because that godly woman, you know what she's looking for? She's not, looking at, she's not looking at how much weight you can hoist. She's not. She's not looking at what kind of car you can drive. She's a godly woman. She's looking for a godly man. She want a godly woman? Be a godly man. And vice versa. Right? So that's, that's you just have to ask yourself. Am I living out the kind of life that would attract godliness? But then the middle one, we'll, we'll have you discuss. In what ways does discretion show up in someone's life? Discretion is judgment. How do we know if someone is is exercising good judgment? In, okay, say that again. Okay, so the location where they're physically found. So if I if I'm finding if I'm seeing them walking out of a nightclub and a bar, I might say to myself, probably not really exercising good discretion. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so their physical location. Say it again. Peace. Do they have peace? Is that what you're saying? It does. It really does. Yep. It, it's you know. Uh, so First Peter chapter three. You know, if you would love life and see good days, and and then pursue peace, follow after peace, right? Uh, it has it has a tendency to go that direction? Mike. Oh. Social media posts. Have you ever thought to yourself, "Oh, I hope you know that person." You're saying, "I hope that, I hope that they don't have me." You know, what is it? You know, when you peg someone, or what is it? 
tagged. I hope they don't have me tagged on there. I don't want people to know I'm their friend. It's like, oh, you know, I can't believe they put that on social media. Uh, that's a good way, right? Just, so, so this is what he's trying to say to his son. Son, this is how people are going to know if you're fooled by the fleeting. Are you exercising good discretion? Are you making good choices? Right? Because this is, this is what it's going to all be about, these, these good choices. And I, this morning, so what I said was, um, you know, if there's a guy who uh, has made, uh, you know, a lot of bad decisions and lost, you know, everything, he's, this is the fourth time that he's declared bankruptcy, but he wants, to, he wants you to trust him with his $100,000 and invest it for you, what do you think? Why wouldn't you do that? Because he doesn't have good discretion, right? He doesn't have a record for it. So uh, that fits within this concept of making good choices. Uh, be careful with the choices you're making. Exercise good discretion. And I'm running out of time, so we've got to finish this up. The last one is number 20. Don't be the maximizer. I don't know if you can tell by my pictures, but that's a molehill and a mountain, right? Don't make a mountain out of a mole. You know anybody that does that? Like, they make a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, we ought not to be the person that makes a mountain out of a Don't be the maximizer. Here's what the Bible says in Philippians 4, and this is actually kind of an interesting thing that he puts with it. And the peace of God which passes all understanding should keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And, and what he's trying to get across is, you know, what we're missing when we're making the mountain or the, making the molehill into a mountain is we're missing the peace of God that passes understanding. We're not letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. We're, we're making So last night, um, as, or Monday night as we're skating, uh, you know, because I, you know, somebody was going around making smart like remarks constantly. Might have been me, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so, uh, so they have this new bench that they've made. And so I look over and there's all these, all these guys sitting on the bench. And I'm talking about, you know, guys who are much younger than your pastor. And uh, so teenagers and Pastor Andrew and college students, they're all sitting there. And uh, so I, as I'm skating by, I said, by the way, I said this today in front of her, so she's not offended. I looked at them and I said, I just want you guys to know that Miss Judy hasn't taken a break yet. No. For those of you who don't know, Miss Judy is in an electric wheelchair. <laughs> she loves going skating because it's the only time they've ever let her on a skating rink. And every time we go, it's a private party and they let her do it. And she just loves it. And uh, so, you know, but then the second time I went around, I said, uh, you know what they call this down south? This bench full of people. What do they call that down south? The liar's bench. You know what a liar's bench is? You guys recognize the term liar's bench? If you ever watch like Hee Haw or... Uh, something like that, then you've probably seen a liar's bench. So you got these couple old guys that are sitting there, they're whittling, you know, and one guy says, we had to walk two miles every day just to get to school. And the other guy says, that was nothing. We had to walk three miles uphill both ways. And, and each time the story just keeps growing and growing and growing, right? It's the maximizer. We always have to one-up. We, we always have to have it worse or better than anybody else. And so his advice to his son is, don't be the maximizer. I love this passage because, oh, I tell you, the number of people we meet, well, you'll see as we kind of just go through this. So um, here's some areas where ten, people tend to magnify difficulties. Can I tell you this without offending you? Everybody has it rough. Everybody has it rough. And we, we all kind of tend to think that our rough is worse than everybody else's rough because we're the ones in the middle of it. But the truth is, everybody 
has it rough. And sometimes, you know, when, when people come to you and they're whining and complaining about how bad life is, especially if it's our kids, we try to help our kids understand it by comparing it to something else, right? To get them to recognize that, you know, so, you know, we, we might say, you know, have, have I ever introduced you to Miss Judy? You know, so let me, let me introduce you to Miss Judy. Because you want to have it rough? Be Miss Judy. Or you could say, hey, did you watch the news last Monday when three elementary kids and three teachers were shot and taken to eternity? And you're trying to shock them into recognizing that you're whining about a molehill and other people have a genuine mountain that they're facing. Don't be the maximizer. And what's so funny, funny about this is that those people often don't get it. I mean, three seconds later, they've turned the conversation right back to their molehill. It's like, did you not hear? Three elementary kids just died because somebody shot them. Compared to what you're going through, that's nothing. Those parents would trade places with you so fast it's not even funny. No matter what your molehill may look like. And so the, the point is, we've got to get out of this habit of, of always magnifying Whatever it is, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, whatever it is in such a way that, you know, it's making this molehill into a mountain and it's not going to, it's not going to build the character. Health. People make molehills out of their health, right? Now, there's, there are mountainous health issues as we see them. But having said that, as I'm speaking right here to Robert, who's facing some pretty major cancer issues. There's other people who would still trade, Rob, trade places with Robert. Do you understand? Because what they're going through is worse. Let me just give you an example. What about the guy whose five-year-old son is in Robert's position? See that? See how it changes things all of a sudden? Like, oh, compared to that, I've just got a molehill. And we've got to get in the habit of being molehill Christians, of recognizing that everybody's got it bad. You remember, I've told you this story a thousand times, but remember the guy who keeps going to the Lord and said, Lord, you've, this cross that you've given me is just too much to bear. I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't take it. And finally God says to him, well, come on in. I'll let you pick a different cross. And so he comes in, he looks over, and he sees this massive stone cross. Like, I don't want that one. And he sees this, you know, rusted iron metal cross. I, I don't want that one. And you know, he looks over and he sees this tiny little wooden cross. And he says, Lord, that's the one I want to carry. And the Lord says, son, that's the one you came in with. All too often, that's what we do, right? It's, it's our perspective that's wrong. Don't maximize. Sometimes we maximize the positives, right? Our abilities. I'm the best singer. I'm the best preacher. I'm the best this. I'm the best that. You know anybody that does that? They're always maximizing their abilities. We would call it bragging, you know, but they're maximizing, and they can't get past it. And we need to recognize that, you know, we aren't God's gift to the world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. We are the ones in need. That's us, right? We're the ones in need. And so we don't want to maximize the molehills, our roadblocks and our accomplishments. Can you think of anything else we'd add to that list? What are some areas that people have a tendency to over-magnify, to exaggerate. We could talk about family issues, right? 
I mean, how many times has somebody thought, oh, if my husband was only like theirs. And what you don't realize is it's the same, the lady on the other end of that thing, oh, if my husband was only like theirs. Right? I mean, we have, can you think of anything else? Jobs, right? Yeah, we could say jobs. I've got it worse than anybody else. I've got, you know, I mean, uh, and by the way, this is this is true of pastors. I'm not I'm not kidding. You don't know how many pastors I've heard, you know, just present it as if the church that they've got is the worst thing that they've ever had to endure. Thank you for not being that church for this preacher. I, I love being here. That's why I've been here for 32 years, and I'm not going anyplace, so hang on tight. But uh, anyway, um, you know, it's you know jobs. We our jobs can we can go both ways, right? We can over exaggerate on either end. Here's the reason, pride. You know, we want, we want everybody to, you know, think that we're carrying a greater load or that we're the better person or whatever. We're afraid. We're afraid of what people think, et cetera, et cetera. Peer pressure. I, I, I like this in the martyrs complex. I, I, I see that term. There are some people that just actually find joy in having it bad in life. And so that's what they look for all the time. They just look for what's bad in life. And Every day, it's like every day is a burden to them. I don't, I don't get that. But you know, that But it's like the attention. I like the attention that it brings to them to be that person. Any other reasons you can think of? People, I'm out of time here. Can, oh yeah, the victim complex, right? I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And so you get the idea, right? Anybody else? So that's number eighteen, nineteen, and twenty that he's given to his son. How can we? And we'll apply it to how can I be a better, better prepared to be used by God? And if we could learn, if we could learn how to, uh, you know, accept rebuke and learn how to not uh, go after the things that are fleeting, and if we could learn how to not maximize the things that God allows us to have into our lives and not, not make them like the biggest thing on the planet, recognizing that other people have other things to do, then we become more useful to God. God's able then to step in. Remember, as we've talked about at the beginning, Second Timothy chapter 2, pull us off of his kitchen, and we become that vessel, meat for the master's use, ready for God to do something with us. So as we go to prayer tonight, if you would remember those things that we just mentioned. Anybody else have any prayer requests that we need to mention publicly before we go to prayer time? So uh, if you would, just keep praying for Chuck and Robert and... All the ones we mentioned here, I don't want to go through them all again, but, uh, uh, you know, those are the ones in our church. It's been a really weird week for our church. All this has been the last week, um, so we're hoping to slow down. Uh, but uh, anyway, so if you just pray for our church people, that'd be great. So divide up into groups, uh, pray, and when you are done, uh, don't forget to pick up your kids. I'm sure the teenagers will be glad to hand them off, all right? God bless you. You are dismissed.